Hey guys, join me in prayer. Um, we're going to continue on with our series. We're going through the first portion of Judges, some other passages of Scripture, and we're talking about what it means to pull out of survival mode. Okay, so Father, we just come before you humbly, and we're, we're acknowledging, Lord, uh, some of us, God, we're stuck in survival mode. I know, Father, I have been, and if I'm not careful, I can still to this day, and I realize it is your grace, God. It is your power. It's your spirit within us and each other. We need you, God, above all else. And so as we look into your word tonight, you're our teacher. Would you be so gracious to teach us from your word. Let the words of Mike Curtis and Mike Curtis alone in the flesh fall to the ground. And may your words ring true in our heart. Spirit of God, would you give us ears to hear what the Spirit has to say to the church tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we, we launched into this series with the prayer of Jabez. And I realized that Bruce Wilkinson wrote a book like two decades ago. I can't say I'm all aboard with what he has to say in that book. I take issue with a few things. Uh, the focus of this prayer, and it's only two verses in the midst of ten chapters of genealogy. The focus of that prayer is very simply the fact that Jabez's desire is for God to enlarge his territory. And when you look at the beginning of Judges which is when he lived, you realize that every tribe had to go into their own inheritance and they had to continue to fight. The conquest, which lasted five years under Joshua, was not all the entire war. And so consequently, tribes went to their inheritance, Judah and Simeon, of course, in the south, and they needed to continue to fight. I say J uh, Judah because that's where Jabez, he was a part of that tribe. And during that time, he just has this boldness, God, I realize that others are wanting to give up. And the Bible says in chapter 1 of Judges, when the tribes grew strong enough, did they get rid of the Canaanites? No, they didn't. They instead took financial advantage of them and forced them or, or pressed them into forced labor. They made money off of them. That was in Jabez's heart. Jabez's heart was for the inheritance of God. And we need to think, what is the inheritance that God has given to us? No, it is not your neighbor's Porsche. It is not. Okay? It is not that longing in your heart for what this world has to offer it is for the kingdom of God, and in that kingdom, as a son or a, or a daughter, in that kingdom, what has Christ given to you in our salvation, in this inheritance? You know, what an amazing truth. In Psalm, two, Psalm 1, excuse me, Psalm 2, it's a messianic psalm, and the father says to the son, ask of me, and I will give, do you remember, the nation's as your inheritance. Jesus came to die for the nations. Church, that's part of our inheritance. This city, that's part of our inheritance. Because we are laboring in Christ's kingdom. And he wants to share this. And he needs us to be able to labor in that kingdom. In order to see the nations, even the city of Sanford, one to Christ. So anyway, our problem though, church is when life gets hard. And, and I say, 
our problem. I truly mean myself. And if I'm not careful, I can fall into this. All of us can. No one is exempt. When life gets hard and we're sacrificing so much for the kingdom of God, but we don't see any fruit. As a matter of fact, all we see many times is just more trouble. And we begin to wonder, God, where are you in my life? Look how much I'm sacrificing for you. Don't you see it, God? Now, can I assure you that if you're in that, if you're in that boat, God sees it. But here's our problem. We want to just toss in the towel. We're tired. We're wearied. So what do we do? We don't want to sacrifice anymore. Or if we do, it's just a little bit. See, that's survival mode. When we sow financially into the kingdom, and then finances, our finances start tanking, what do we do? Most of us, be honest, most of us, we turn off the spigot in our giving. Can I just tell you that's the last thing, truly, that's the last thing you want to do. And I'm not saying that you give to God so that you can get more money. What I am saying, though, is that we follow in obedience. I'm going to get to some more of that a little bit later. But we get stuck in survival mode. When our finances tank, we shut the giving down. Wow. When we're wounded, someone hurts us. And, and we have served and loved them and they hurt us in return. What do we want to do? Church, if we're not careful, we walk away with a wounded spirit and we push them away. And we just say, God, I just don't want to love people anymore. Uh, come on, church. Have you ever said something like that? Yes. I just, I'm tired. I don't want to love people anymore. That's survival mode. How do we get out of that? How do we pull out of it? See, the Israelites fell into survival mode. God told them through Moses, back in the book of in, uh, Numbers and Deuteronomy, he said, look, I'm sending you into the promised land. It's going to be hard. I, I'm not finding anywhere where God said, hey, and some of your own relatives will die in the battle. But that's the, that's the truth. People die in battle. And so they, they went out and they, they fought in this battle. But God had said through Moses, look, it's going to take some time. You're, I'm not going to give you the whole land all at once. It's going to take some, it's going to be incremental. Because if, you, if I give it to you all at once, the beasts of the field are going to come in, okay? Because there's no inhabitants of the land and you're still trying to expand. So God told them it's going to take a while. So what did they, what did they do? They started fighting giants. Iron chariots, walled cities. It says in Judges 1, and the Canaanites were determined. Hey, when we're going to fight against the devil to receive all of the inheritance and walk in it, the devil's going to fight. And he's going to be determined. He wants to discourage you so that you're off on the sidelines. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? So how do we get off the sidelines? How do we get off the bench? How do we get into the game, so to speak? Christianity is not a game, but you understand the metaphor. How do we step out of survival mode into what can be called thriving mode? I want us to turn to Judges chapter 2. I want us to dig into this. There's three things I want us to see. How we get out of survival mode actually is going to take me a couple of weeks. But I want to walk through this. 
And and if you could, if you could just take notes, and if all they are is just 0.1, 0.2, 0.3, But please, if you don't write it down, I hope you have a great memory. But I want you to remember these things. We're going to draw them from the Word of God tonight, from the book of Judges, actually. We're going to look at some verses in chapter 2 and then a little bit from chapter 1. But I want us to ask this question, how do we get out of this cycle, this survival mode? How do we step into thriving mode? Are you there? Judges chapter 2, starting with verse 6. After Joshua had dismissed the Israelites... They went to take possession of the land, each to his own inheritance. So now the tribes, now the tribes are going into their inheritance to take their inheritance. Verse 6 is a summary of all of chapter 1, by the way. Okay, verse 7. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, and they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnath Heres, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gaiah. After that whole generation had been gathered to their fathers, that is, they died and went to heaven, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor What he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them up out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They provoked the Lord to anger because they forsook him and served Baal and Ashtoreths. In his anger against Israel, the Lord handed them over to raiders who plundered them. He sold them to their enemies all around whom they were no longer able to resist. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them. Just as he had sworn to them, they were in great distress. When it says... Just as he had sworn to them, he did that, he said that through the angel in the first five verses of chapter 2. We looked at that last week, if you remember. I want us to look here at verse 7. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. And can I just tell you, truly great things. They saw the parting of the Red Sea. And I would love, when I get to heaven, I'm sure God has this on some like movie screen, right? I'm sure that he does. I want to see it. I want to see the parting. of. I want to see the ten plagues. I want to see them coming out of Israel and the, and the Egyptians just saying, go, go, go. And just giving them their plunder, their, their wealth, silver, gold. Because they realized the God of heaven, the one true God in heaven was for them and was against them because they opposed God. How about the parting of the Jordan? How about the falling of the wall of Jericho? How about the five years and and five campaigns, and there may have been more, but within five years, the major cities, the major groups of people fell, defeated. 
wow, what testimonies to the glory and the grace of God. They witnessed them. I'm sure they told them to, the, to their kids, man, this, is, this was amazing stuff that God had done. Can I ask you this? As you look through this, do you see any mention of the thriving life? In these verses that I just read, or I'll just say, hey, anywhere in the first three chapters, do you see anything that may not be fair truly because we didn't read all three chapters. We just read a little section. But do you see any hint of the thriving life? Even during Joshua, do you see any hint of the thriving life? You know, in Deuteronomy 28, God says, hey guys, when you get to the promised land, there's, you're going to find two mountains, Mount Gerizim, Mount Ebal. I want a group of people on Mount Gerizim, they are going to declare the blessings of God upon Israel if you obey everything I command you. And then I'm going to have another group on Mount Ebal. They're going to declare the curses upon you should you fail to follow them. And can I just tell you that the curses, that section of Deuteronomy 28 is actually about three times longer than the blessings. Because he does get very specific. Not saying that God is really like into cursing. But I am... I'm just convinced that God's desire is to bless, but he has to warn them. It's prophetic. It, he, he, knows, he knows what the book of Judges is going to be all about before he wrote it, before it happened. And it's tragic. But as we look at those blessings and the curses, the only thing we see here are the, the curses. He says right there that you're going to abandon me and I'm going to give you over to the enemy. That's one of the curses that we find in Deuteronomy 28. What blessings of Deuteronomy 28 do we see here? See, we don't see any. But I'm going to tell you this, and this is so key. We see the thriving life. Look hard. Look for it there in verse 7. Do you see it? The thriving life. Do you see it? It's right there in that phrase. The people served the Lord. You're expecting something a little bit more powerful, weren't you? Something like, well, the mighty, powerful hand of God was upon. And we don't see that. I'm, now, I'm not saying it wasn't there. But we would kind of think, God, wow, I mean, they served you. Can't, come, like, what kind of blessings did you give them? I mean, we know about the parting of the Jordan, the Red Sea. And what about in their day? What kind of awesome miracles did you do? And we don't find them there. Can I just tell you that what most characterizes the thriving life, listen church, listen so closely, what most characterizes the thriving life is not the blessings of God, like as, as we would understand it, financial blessing being poured out upon us that you would read in Deuteronomy 28. That God does Deuteronomy 20. God blesses them. He promised that he would do, would do that, and he does it. But that does not define the thriving life. What defines the thriving life is what Deuteronomy begins with. If you fully obey the Lord. See, the thriving life is about obeying the Lord. It's about a heart 
fully surrendered to him even if the money runs out of your checkbook. That's still the thriving life. The thriving life is, is, is about obedience and it's about surrender and sacrifice. You know, I, I'm sorry, but when the prosperity gospel says, hey, come follow my Jesus and look at how much he's going to bless you, can you even take that message to a third world country? No, you can't. I believe in what missionaries call the principle of redemption and lift. And this is amazing. When a nation comes to Christ, there is a blessing. But, but that's over a whole nation. Their economy does rise because they're finally following biblical principles of finance and giving and generosity. But what do you say to that family who's starving and they've given their heart to Jesus and they start saying, I thought God was going to bless me with so much. Where is it? Now, I've, I, people in America, you don't have to go to a third world country. Some of you, you just need to go next door. Or some of you, it's right there in your home. And that's reality. I'm not saying that when we follow God, he doesn't bless you. It's just that the blessing does not characterize the thriving life. So today, if you're serving Jesus and you're feeling weary... God's heart goes out to you, but please don't expect a certain type of blessing, financial blessing. No conflict at all in my home. That my wife would completely obey my every word. You know, guys, we are falling creatures. And you know what, Dad? You're a falling creature too. Come on. The truth is, our homes, sometimes the devil can get in there. What do you do about that? You just give up? You just succumb to thriving mode? No. Actually, that's when you need to fight the most. But if you're not careful, you're going to feel so weary. It's like, I, I'm, I'm tired of fighting. I'm just, have you ever been there? I'm just tired of fighting. So when, when we get to this section of scriptures, here is my point. And it is about the thriving life. But here it is. We need leaders who will demonstrate the thriving life. I'm going to say that again. Point number one. We need leaders who will demonstrate the thriving life. If you want to get out of the of survival mode, you need people that you can trust and look up to who are living in the thrive, in thriving mode, in the thriving life. But that doesn't mean that they're going to be prospering in, in, in their business or prospering in their finances or there's not going to be any problems or that the husband-wife relationship is just like amazing. And I'm not saying that God doesn't have that in store. God does bring these types of blessings. But if you're going to weigh in on the, I want to buy into this thriving life because of all these blessings, I hate to disappoint you because sometimes God purposefully does not give the type of blessing that you're looking for. And I hope that doesn't disappoint you. Maybe you've heard a different message somewhere else. Verse 7, the people served the Lord. Thriving, the thriving life is characterized by obedience, not blessing as we define blessing. The thriving door, I do believe, opens the doors to blessing, 
And they will come in God's perfect timing, but they don't define it. Leaders and influencers. So moms and dads, I'm talking to you right now. Leaders in a church or in a community, I'm talking to you right now. If you are in a place of influence, even as a supervisor in your business, or people look up to you, you're an influencer. You need to be living in the thriving life, which is not about how much blessing you can receive, but how much you can surrender and live for Jesus no matter what. You know, some years ago, when we were a little bit more connected with uh, Teen Challenge, one of the leaders there, and this is when God had been blessing my business, okay? <clears throat> the business probably did the best back then, <clears throat> and this is almost two decades ago, than it ever has. And he said, Mike, I want, the, I want these guys to get to know you. Because God's blessing you with your home and with your business. And you've got five amazing kids and a wife. And you're just like, you've got it all. I want these kids to realize that if they serve Jesus, then you don't have to be a dork. You don't have to sacrifice everything in life. Well, <laughs> newsflash kid, I am a dork. He just didn't know it at the time, right? Oh, well. But I, I told him, I had to challenge him. Brother, I, I don't believe that we need to be looking up to one another because of how much God's blessing you. Because I've seen too many people in the world, or Christians so-called, being so blessed, financial blessing anyway, and they're not living for the Lord at all. So, I'm sorry, I'm just going to disagree with you. I want to read something here for you. Because, you know what, church, if we're not careful... Even when it comes to revival, we're going to want to characterize revival in a certain way. And, and I just love this. If, if you're one of my friends on Facebook, if you're not, I want to be your friend. But some of you already know I have a post. And it's this right here. And it's about the Asbury College revival. And this is just a comment someone left. And I said, I love this. I love this. Listen to it. The main takeaway from the Asbury Revival is this. There is a piano player, a guitar player, and a single drum. Hard chairs. Ugly interior. The lights don't dim. No one serves donuts. And you know, they don't even have a Starbucks there. No fancy lights, no timers, no perfect productions, no leader, no teams. I'm, I'm not quite sure about the no leader part, regardless. No hierarchy, no competition, no kids class. What? No nursery? Nobody greets you in the parking lot. Man, we did this in the Christian Stone Age? Literally, no structure whatsoever. Apparently, listen to this, church. If you get only one thing, it's this. Apparently, the only thing needed to attract people to God is God. Why have we made it so complicated? Time to get back to the pure and simple. An altar, and that's your heart, and Jesus, a sacrifice. Let's give him back his house. Just worship him and see what happens. Truly worship. Not just stand up and sing a song. Praise him because he inhabits the praises of his people. That is thriving mode.
next thing I, I, I want us to see here is what we discover, I believe, in verse 10. Listen, I'm going to read it to you again. After that whole generation, so you're talking about Joshua and the elders that outlived him. Verse 7. <clears throat> After that whole generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord, <clears throat> excuse me, nor what he had done for Israel. Wow, a godless generation. You know, I've heard it said that Christianity is only one generation away from extinction. If we fail, church, to pass the baton effectively... An entire generation is a Christianity dies. Now, newsflash. Christianity will never die. It will never die, church. Even if we decide to just let our children run around like hellions. Even if we choose not to follow the Lord. Or just sit in a pew and do nothing. Or if we choose to go to church which even in our generation, that's a big thing apparently for Christians, that they even go to church, especially for COVID. But guys, when, when mm, there is something about passing the baton, and, and you know what? It's, that's hard, and I get that. It's hard. I'm not going to tell you that I'm like the best dad out there. I know I'm not. Nathan comes pretty close, I think. <laughs> but you know what? Tim, Tim, Tim's your real close. You're real close. <laughs> but guys, we can drop the ball. We can drop the baton. A generation, Christianity is one generation away from extinction. Now, I say that, but I truly believe that even though we may not pass the baton off well at all, God is still, he has such a passion. He will not let the earth, the people of the earth die and just go to hell. He will call them. He will draw them. He will stir something up. He'll even bring a revival among people who have been drug addicts and, and alcoholics their whole life. Totally fine with that. God is, that is, totally fine with that. He came to seek and to save what was lost. So, but you understand my point. One generation away from extinction. How did this happen? How did an entire generation raise up and they knew neither the Lord nor all the amazing things that he had done? Sunday school class, sixth grade, raise your hand who has the answer to this question. Moses parted the crickets, crickets, crickets. Thank you for giving me the answer, by the way. But their Sunday school class was like, I don't know. happened only less than 100 years ago in, in time frame here. Yeah, they, didn't, they did not know God, and they didn't know about it, the, all the amazing things that God had done. They didn't know. Why? I, I want you to just turn with me just real quickly here. Lose my place. In Joshua chapter 4, it says in verse 18, and Joshua, they had just crossed the Jordan River. And they were instructed to take 12 stones and then take those 12 stones and form an altar. A, a memorial, rather. Not an altar, a memorial. Why? 
Why do we need to march this? And they took it to their military headquarters called Gilgal, right there in Gilgal. It says this, and Joshua set up at Gilgal. Gilgal was not a town before they arrived. It eventually acquired that name, but it was just, I don't know, an open field, but it did not have any name at all. They set up military headquarters. They eventually became Gilgal. Joshua set up at Gilgal the 12 stones they had taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, in the future, when your descendants ask their fathers, what do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan. Are you ready for this? On dry ground. Oh, come on, Dad, really. Okay, if there's water in an ocean bed, guess what? If the water's not there anymore, it is a wet bed. Nope, God dried it up. We crossed over on dry ground. Wow, Dad, tell me more. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan just what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. We're talking about two to two and a half million people here. They had 600,000 in their military between ages 20 and 50. If you do the demographics, that's generally about one-fourth of a population, generally, usually. So you do the math. Over two million people. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God unless you fail to pass the baton. And that's what the people did. They failed to pass the baton. So can I encourage you, church Point number two, we need, desperately need testimonies about the grace of God in our homes, in our churches, everywhere you go. Can I just tell you that just sharing a testimony, not even my salvation testimony, okay, as, as awesome as I believe that is, just testimonies of God's goodness, that is like my number one gospel track. That, that's how I love jumping into conversations as I'm listening to people and I'm saying, man, I tell you what, I'm going to pray for you because I was in a situation similar to that. Let me tell you what God did. So simple. So simple. And now I have an opportunity. I'm just going to tell them what God did in my life. And can I tell you this? As many times as I've, I have yet to hear, have one person, one person shut me down. And I truly, if you do this, people aren't going to shut down your story. Maybe they do in other countries, I don't know. But in America, at least, at this point, we'll see what it's like in the next 10 years, but at this point, I, I've just not experienced that. Testimonies. Regularly shared to encourage and, to listen to this, inviting people into those grace moments, those experiences of God's grace. Share the stories with your children. You know, what you do then by sharing these testimonies is you give them pictures of who our God is. And they start asking questions. You know, I've got grandkids. All my, my, my youngest, I have five kids. My, my youngest is what, 25? Is Jim 25? I think he's 25, yeah. 
May, is he 25? Yeah, yes, yeah, okay, because she's the same age. She was born one month before my youngest. Okay, I, got, I still have it right. I still remember. Thank you, Lord. I still have my memory. So my grandkids, my oldest is seven. He's going to be eight in less than a week. Anyway, and, you know, they just, w when I tell them a story, they're like on the edge of the seat. I have, they, have, they have Grandpa Day every other Wednesday. That, that means me. So I go over there for two hours, and at the end, um, I haven't done this in a little bit just because we're, we have been doing other things, but like within the like six months and way before that, they we would do refreshments at the very end. Guys, refreshments are like the, the king. They're like the best, okay? But anyway, we would sit down, and I would pass out some refreshments, and they would say, Grandpa, tell us a story. Tell us a story. So I tell them a story. Tell us another story. People love stories. They want to hear. And, and I want you to know, church, the, the world, the world, they're, they're tired. They're weary. Do you think about survival mode in your life? Take it up a notch or 10. That's where the world is living. Some of them are so deceived in the blessing and the financial blessing that they have, they don't see it. Okay. The day's going to come in which they will. But the truth is, they're hungry for the testimonies of God's grace in your life. And, and I, I, I've shared, I think, just about every testimony that I can think of with you guys. And I purposely seek to include them in, in sermons because just like as Sarah, okay, Sarah's, Sarah's in nursery, children's ministry, children's ministry, okay. But just as she was sharing, actually, I didn't realize my wife was going to do this. This is supposed to be the next part of my sermon. I'm going to tell you about the four things that God did in Sarah's life. But you already heard them. So that means I have 15 more minutes to just preach this. Anyway, the truth, though, is that God did four things within two days of when we prayed for her. And I just want you to know, when Sarah prayed, I, I was, I was, I was kind of shocked. It was all about God I'm just really trapped here. Here's the things. I don't understand it, but you know what? You are so good. And she didn't ask for one thing. And she said, Pastor Mike, and, and who else? Who, someone else was with me. Julianne, some, someone else was with me. And we just prayed over her. And so I prayed for her, for those things. I kind of stepped in the gap, so to speak, to pray for her. She just, she just, she realized that the most important thing for her was simply the posture of her heart. God, here I am, and this is so hard, and I don't understand, and whatever you want to do, I'm willing to walk in that, but I'm asking that you would help me, and that's it. So we prayed over her, and for those four things, within two days, God did amazing things, four things. And, and each of you, if you're a Christian today, you at least have a salvation testimony, and for I believe all of us, we have more than that. We even have stories of how God came through at the last moment. There I am. There's Juliana. She's seven years old. I think she's seven years old. And she got stung by a bee. And the, the bee sting swelled up her lip. And it was just like super swollen. And the swelling has reached her eye. And he says, if it, if it goes any higher, 
she needs to be admitted to the hospital. It's an emergency situation. She can become toxic, yada, yada, yada. And we're like, whoa, this is really serious. I mean, the whole side of her face. I didn't recognize her. It was horrible. And so the doctor said, you need to see me tomorrow morning. If the redness goes above that mark, we're putting her in the hospital. So there, we, we pray for her. We actually had a friend of mine visiting from Phoenix, Arizona, and we just gathered around her. We laid hands on her. We prayed for her. We didn't see any change at all that night. Here's something that is like totally amazing. Before my very eyes, church, I'm sitting down, and I realize when she gets up, the redness is still there. And it's like, and he said, if it's not gone, I need you here by 8 o'clock in the morning. This is really serious. It's 7 o'clock in the morning. And she says, Daddy, before we go see the doctor, can you play me an Uno? She's rough. So we're playing Uno, right? And I, hey, she, she's taking her dad to task. I'm trying everything. I'm so focused, so focused playing this. What can I do to survive this game? And I look up, and the redness is completely gone, church, completely gone. And I'm like, wait, wait, no, 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 no. Just like 10, 15 minutes ago, her face was swollen and red. It's totally gone. It's not like I stopped in the middle of Uno and prayed for her. Because I'm also, please help me win this game. And I didn't do that. The truth is, God just stepped in. Because it wasn't the timing to heal her when we prayed for her. And I don't understand that. God does. And his timing was perfect. And it was during a card game of Uno when you're beating your dad. That's when he chose to do it. And so we went to there. And he looked at her. This is how long it took. Sweetie, you look great. Have a super weekend. That was it. We're done. Thank you, Lord. And God puts testimonies like that in your life. I'm not the only one. I could probably do a pass the mic time. And you would have a testimony of what something that God has done in your life. That testimony needs to get passed on to your kids. Thanksgiving Day. My wife is great at this. She's got like, there, there are times she has ideas after ideas. Her brain just explodes with ideas, Okay. If I'm stuck on an idea, what do you think about this? I'll go to her, and within like 10 seconds, she'll give me 10 ideas. And I managed to get one or two, right? That's just who she is. So she has this idea, and on Thanksgiving, when we have our family over, and we usually invite a few others, and we just go around the table, full table, go around the table, tons of food on the table, and we're all hungry. But in that moment, this, this is God's moment. This is a time to just give thanks. And we go around the table and we tell what we're thankful for. And yet you, you get some repetition. I'm thankful for my family and I'm thankful for, you know, my uncle and, and I love that. But you know what? The, and then there are times in which we just pause and someone comes up with a gem and it's like, this is how God just so undid me this last year and what I went through. And you know, my daughter, Julie Anna, is such an amazing young lady. And over the last several, several years, she has just been through so much. And God has just so gotten a hold of her heart. She has such a teachable heart and such a gifting in teaching. I think she gets that from her, her mom. 
but truly, church, she, her character is, is amazing. And God did that through one way, bringing her through the fire in which she was not burned and the water in which the raging river did not wash her away. And she has testimonies about that. And she shares them with people, the operations that she's had, the struggles and the heartache, that she, her broken heart and various things. And, and God did these things to be able to create this testimony of his grace that she will always and forever remember. And when she, all throughout eternity, she is going to be singing the song, not only of her redemption and salvation, I believe that's what Revelation 15 says about the, the song of Moses. That is our, because he's the deliverer of the old, that is our deliverance testament. We're going to sing these songs. I'm going to be singing my redemption song throughout eternity. And if you don't like my voice today, you better start getting used to it. I'm going to be singing, and we're all going to be singing our redemption song. We're going to be singing these songs about how God rescued us from the mouth of the lion, took me through the fire, took me through the raging river. All of you have these testimonies. Pass them on. Pass them on. Tell people about it. What a great witnessing tool even. The world wants to hear about the grace of God. They truly do. Does God even work? Wrong way to to, to phrase the question, I understand that, but they're looking. They want something authentic. Can we give it to them? Man, I pray that we can, church. I pray that we can. My last point, and I'm running out of time. I want you to turn in your Bibles to the left. I have to turn only one page, but turn, go to Judges chapter 1. Judges chapter 1. So Judah goes to take, as a tribe, goes to take their land. Does it with the help of the tribe of Simeon. Goes to take their land. And Caleb was given, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> Hebron and the surrounding area. <coughs> and in verse 11, it says this. From there they advanced against the people living in Deber, formerly called Kiriath-Sephir. Caleb's, and remember, Caleb is 85 at the end of the conquest. Caleb said, I will give my daughter Aksa in marriage to the man who attacks and captures Kiriath Sefer. I'll have to admit, I have some pretty beautiful daughters, and I am sure like Diego would have done anything. Pastor Mike, just tell me, what do you want me to do? And I'll win your daughter's hand. Well, he didn't have to really do, he just needed to be a godly man. And he is to this day. And he won her heart. And my wife and I were glad for them to get married. And they're having their baby in a month. It's awesome. But here, here's Caleb, Caleb, and he's willing to give his daughter, I'm not sure I would do this, but I'm a bit removed from their culture. But whoever, whoever goes and takes this city, I'm going to give you my daughter's hand in marriage. And can I, she had to have been a beautiful woman, a godly woman, because that meant whoever won her had to risk his life. Ladies, would, would that not at least a little bit win your heart? Just a little bit? For the guy to be willing to lay his life down just for you? Othniel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, took it. So Caleb gave his daughter Aksa to him in marriage. Here's the simple point. We are to bless. Now listen to the whole thing. 
before you think about it, bless and reward people for living and thriving moments. I realize initially that sounds so works-oriented. I want you to consider something. Bless everyone, especially those who sacrifice so much. I said it just in a little different way. How do we do that? Well, before we do that, before we consider that, I want you to think about 1 Timothy 5.3. 1 Timothy 5.3, it says, give proper recognition, and that's the word honor, to those widows who are really in need. Verse 9, no widow may be put on the list of widows unless. So we're to honor them. And that Greek word, team may honor, includes financial blessing. But it includes more. Who are you supposed to do that to? Listen, they have to be over 60. Faithful to their husband, of course, if they were married. Known for good deeds. And it lists some of those good deeds. Raising children, hospitality, washing the feet of the saints, helping those in trouble, devoted to all kinds of good deeds. Those are the women. Those are the, el- the, the widows that you are to teammate, honor, give recognition to, including finances, because that's the context. Wow. We are to serve people in this church. I'm going to encourage you. Do you know how you can so bless and encourage someone by just walking up to them and just saying, hey, you know what, Cole? I want to tell you something. You have so encouraged me so many times. Cole, you are so honest with your weaknesses. There's no pretense about you. And yet you have chosen to follow the Lord. Even when it was so absolutely hard, you followed the Lord. When business has been tough, you didn't throw in the towel. You kept serving Jesus. When you teach the word, you open it up. And I learn from you. Because when you teach the word cold, you bring it from your heart. You bring it from your life experiences. You love to dig into the word, and I love that because I'm a detailed person too. But you bring, it, you bring life to it because it's a part of who you are. And you're, you're so good with your stories and illustrations. And I appreciate that. And here's why you're able to do that. Because you have purpose in your heart, Cole, not to ever throw in the towel, but to live for Jesus. And that is done by living according to his word. You put it into practice. Thank you for doing that, Cole. You're worthy of that little word of honor. You truly are. And you know what, Marla? Marla has been a part of our... In, in, in practice... We broke up into um, prayer groups, and then so Marla and Juliana were also there, and, and Meredith said, okay, and you two twins pray too. And that's just, they call each other the twins, right? And Marla comes, she's, she's with us like every Sunday, and she spends family night. She's, a, she's basically a part of our family. And we've known Marla for almost forever. Back in high school, ninth grade, 10th grade, a long time and I have just seen she, she came out of a Catholic background and we know her parents beautiful love her parents to death really do but she made a choice that, that she was going to be a part of a different type of church 
and that she was going to serve God, and she read it in the word, and she did some radical things. And Marla is one of the most amazing, on the one hand, she is detail-oriented to be able to be administrative, but she is, like, I just wish that I had the creativity that's in her left pinky. If I just had that much creativity, I'd be so blessed, all right? She has so much creativity. I remember when she was on the, the te- in the teen group, the teen leaders, and we would sit down. Okay, guys, so what do you want to do over the next two? Because we planned two months at a time. And Marla would, I think, we, what about this? And she would just, poof, poof. And she's got like 10 ideas out there, and we've done like, wow, let's just go with it. I mean, she just had so many ideas. But you know what? The, most, the thing, Marla, that I appreciate about you the most is that you are such a humble young lady who loves Jesus. And, and you know what they did? I, I had things that I just had to do last night. But she and Juliana and May, May lives with us. You know, I'm, I'm walking in the uh, family room, and they're listening to worship music. And they're just on the floor, and Marla's lifting her hands, and she's just worshiping God all of her heart and that's how she chose to spend her friday night worshiping god and she also listened to a francis chan movie uh movie sorry <laughs> sermon sermon by the way but marla you have you have such a love for you are so sensitive to people and to their needs you love jesus thank you for being a part of my life i mean that and you know what, church, I, I, I honestly, I could just literally go through every single one of you and take about five minutes to describe how much I appreciate you and why. All right? Well, okay, so for my wife, it would probably be a whole lot more than five minutes. But you know what I mean. Guys, it's not hard. It is so simple. I remember we, we did what we call the encouragement game. Remember, right now, I'm just focusing about how we can bless or reward people for pursuing Jesus, for living and thriving. Because that's what, you know, Othniel made a choice to sacrifice his life, okay, not just for a woman, but to take the land. He was going to step out. He wasn't going to be settled in in survival mode. He wasn't going to get stuck there. He was like, come on, what's next? Caleb, what do you want me to do? You want my daughter? He was like, yeah, what do I need to do? I need you to take that city, okay? And it was very close to Hebron, which was filled with giants, so I can only imagine there were giants in that city as well. He, he did it. Ah! He did it. And he was rewarded for it. Guys, you are worthy of honor. Every single one of you. You're worthy of so much honor. And when you stand before Jesus, I'll stand right by your side and I'll say, Jesus, can I start? Can I just start and be the one that, you know, kind of gets the ball rolling here to talk about how, what these kind of things this person has done? I'll stand by your side. And Jesus will say, thanks, Mike, but I think I got this. I'm sure that's what he'll say to me. But that would be my heart, you understand. The truth, though, church, is we can do that for one another. I remember on my son's, I can't remember which one it was, but I said, okay, guys, look, we're just going to play the encouraging game. We're going to do it for only 10 minutes, okay? 30 minutes later, I finally had to shut it down. Um, my, my son was, he, he, so he's 25, he's 
got a baby and a second one on the way. He lives out in Arkansas, unfortunately. Um, but you know what? He, he's a godly man. And when he was a teenager and we were celebrating his birthday, people just loved him and they just, they wanted him to know. So here's my question. Can you do that for somebody? This weekend, can you do that for somebody? Because maybe that somebody is stuck in survival mode and they just need to be encouraged. It's like life being breathed into them. Husband and wives, I'm gonna encourage you it, and, and I, I should be doing a better job with this because I'm married to the most wonderful woman in the world, but do that with your spouse. Tell them how much you would. Thank them for how they've sacrificed. Okay? Tell them. And that's going to just bring life. That's going to help them. It's going to be like giving them a leg up to be able to get out of survival mode if they're stuck. Church, I, I need to pray. Can, can we just right now humble our hearts before the Lord? These are some things that we can do. I hope the message has been practical tonight. But, God, but, but guys, you know what I'm more concerned about is when you leave tonight, are you just going to leave your thoughts back here, so to speak? Or are you going to take them with you? Are you going to pray about them? Are you going to plan? Because some of this stuff takes planning. When, are you, when, when it's Thanksgiving, you know, it doesn't have to just happen on Thanksgiving. We do it other times. But sharing praise reports, testimonies. Be a testifier, church. Point to Jesus' grace in your life. But I tell you, I'm going to just tell you right now that if your heart has not been broken by the grace of God, if Jesus hasn't captured it, if you have not made the choice to surrender fully to him, shared with you tonight has been so hard.